real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. Be sure to grab your free copy of my list of 27 tools, resources, and software programs I use to run my businesses on a tight budget. You can get it at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash 27 tools. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash 27 tools. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is a founder, coach, and growth strategist with over 20 years of experience. He is the creator of Founders Thriving, a movement designed to help founders build better relationships with themselves and the companies they run by decoupling net worth and self-worth. Welcome to the show, G.V. Freeman. Thanks for having me. Well, can you give us a little bit of your background and how you got into this area of mixing business and self-care? I absolutely stumbled into it. Not unlike in the, in the tech world, we talk about product market fit and you, you never really know you found product market fit and usually you just stumble into it by accident. And that's sort of how I got here as well. I grew up in a tiny little town in the middle of central Nebraska. There were more cows around than people. So it was it was literally like 700 people that I in a town that I grew up in in Sargent, Nebraska. Moved from there, I upgraded to a little bit a larger town. I went to college in Nebraska. I did end up spending a year in Belgium when I was in high school as a foreign exchange student. And funnily enough, I tell a story that when I was in Belgium, I bought my first yoga book. And this was when I was like 15 or 16 years old. I got this book by BKS Iyengar and I went back to my host family and I was trying to teach myself yoga and I had no idea what I was doing. I came back. I finished college in Nebraska. I spent, I was a DJ. I spent 15 years as a DJ and three of those working for Carnival Cruise Lines. So that sort of gave me the ability to begin like reading a crowd and reading people. And I went to school for computer information systems. So I'm really a geek at heart. And that's one of the best advantages that I have now is that I can go talk to a group of developers and technical people and I speak their language. But over the past 15 years, I've also spent a lot of time as a spiritual tourist. So I became a certified yoga teacher. I teach a lot of meditation work and I teach breath work and I coach founders how to build better lives and better relationships with their companies. So what's happened is over the past 15 years, I've just pulled, I'm like the poo-poo platter of self-care. So I've just pulled as much stuff as I possibly can into this toolbox And as I work with founders and entrepreneurs, I try and give them the best tool for the job. And I really try and look at every founder, every situation in a very unique way. So I think one of the common phrases that you hear is when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. And I really try and pull whatever tool from the toolbox that I can after I've determined which tool it is we need. That's really interesting. And I've never been to Belgium, so... I think that would be awesome. (laughs) In the intro, there's that last line there really interests me. I'd like to learn more about that, about decoupling net worth and self-worth. Can you explain that? Yeah, I think it's important to 
understand really what self-worth is. I think that it's a very like kind of squishy concept, but and, and there's not a there's probably a, a textbook definition that I can spout off, but really what I like to say is how you feel about yourself. Like do you feel good about living in your body? Do you feel good on a regular basis? Do you feel good when you look at yourself in the mirror? Or do you feel bad about yourself on a regular basis? And the amount of self-worth that we have sort of depends on how we live in our body. A lot of entrepreneurs find themselves, and I can tell you the chain that will get you to this point, but where entrepreneurs really find themselves is that they feel good when their company feels good or when their company's doing well. They feel good when they have a a lot of money in the bank account, or that's at least what they think. So net worth, a high net worth, the value of my company, the value of my bank account, the value of all of my assets really is what we would consider net worth. If I have a high net worth, that means somehow that I'm going to have a high self-worth. And what I find is that is not usually the case. Some of the most, some of the richest people that I have ever met and work with are some of the most miserable people. Because the more wealth that you have and the greater complexity that your life begins to encompass, like that complexity is really challenging to manage. So when you add a third car, when you add a second house, when you add a boat, all of those things are make your life complex and you have to manage all of those things. Not to mention that you have to hire really expensive tax accountants to hide all of your money. And then you have essentially your sort of lying to yourself and lying to somebody else. And that's weight that you carry around. I've heard that before is like the richer you are, the more, I don't know if depressed is the word, but the more, you know, the whole money can't buy happiness. I've always been kind of confused about that. I mean, I know that money isn't or success or whatever isn't the only source, obviously, of happiness. But I mean, it certainly helps with not having to stress about stuff. But you pointed out something I hadn't thought about before is that people with a lot of money, they end up buying more stuff, then that ends up becoming more stressful managing. Yeah, that makes sense now. (laughs) They've done a pretty significant amount of research. And you're going to have to take these numbers and adjust them for the location where you live. So the amount of money that you can live a a pretty content life in the middle of St. Louis, Missouri, is significantly different than the amount of money that would be required to live in San Francisco or New York City. So the average results that they have shown is about $80,000 gets you to a point of contentment that you can be fairly content with $80,000. At $90,000 to $95,000, you can actually be pretty happy. You you have some extra money that you can maybe go on a vacation or you can buy some things that you would like to have in the home. Anything over $95,000 does not show an, a significant increase in happiness. Mm. So that's, that is scientific research done by the Gallup organization. So oh, wow. to, if you've reached that point, so th- this is a, an interesting question that I often ask people. So if you are making over $95,000 and you're really miserable, there's a reason for that. And it doesn't have anything to do with money. That's when we have to look at where our self-worth is coming from. So financial 
is one big bucket where self-worth can come from. And the way that I look at this is kind of in two rings. So think of a dartboard. And at the center, the bullseye of that dartboard is what I call a thriving founder or a thriving entrepreneur. So if you can get to the center and get right in the middle of that bullseye, you can be a thriving founder. Now, the ring right outside of the bullseye I oftentimes think of that ring containing these four buckets, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. I'm going to skip over those for just a second and go to the, to the next ring out because the next ring out is relationships, career, financial, social, and environment. So relationships Am I in a committed relationship with a partner? What does my family situation look like? Career, like how does it, what position do I have? Am I running my own company? Financial, how much money I am making? How much money I have in the bank account? Social, like what does my social life look like? How many friends do I have? Environment, the house that I live in, you know, is it, a, is it nice? Is it safe? A lot of those things, in some ways, we also go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like we have to be safe and secure before we can begin improving our life. To Where most people get the majority of their self-worth is from that outer ring, relationships, career, financial, social environment. And here's the thing. Those are all external to us. They are also very impermanent. So it's very rare that you find yourself in a relationship that at some point, doesn't end. Like there's not that many people who get in a relationship and die with their partner. Some very lucky people do that, but the odds are stacked against us. You very rarely have one career. You are you are changing jobs. Your bank account, you're going to spend money and you're going to make money. All of those things on the outside ring, they're impermanent. They go away. So when we can begin and what I call that that's extrinsic sources of self-worth. And what I propose and what I coach entrepreneurs and founders through is moving from an extrinsic model of self-worth to an intrinsic model and intrinsic being my physical self, my mental health, my emotional health, and my spiritual health. And when we can shift to the intrinsic model, those things don't really go away. Our health, our physical health may come and go. But my body is my body, and I get to be in 100% control of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, that that does make sense. I hadn't really thought about that or looked at it that way before, but that does make a lot of sense. Like You can only really have full control over the internal things you're referring to. And then, obviously, if all those things, you're happy with those things, then maybe it kind of makes your external things happier and and whatnot. So yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I really encourage people to build a life full of self-worth, a life when we talk about investing, when if you go see your financial advisor, they're going to tell you to diversify your portfolio. You want some things that are high growth, some things that are long range. I encourage people to diversify their self-worth. I want people to have healthy relationships and a great career and an amazing bank account and great friendships and a beautiful house. But on the other hand, if you're not, if you're spending all your time in the outer ring and you're not focusing on yourself and building self-worth intrinsically, then when something goes wrong in the outer circle, like you're out of gas, you don't have enough 
energy to, to keep going. And that's where entrepreneurs, especially if they are really looking for self-worth tied to financial and career, and if the company isn't doing well, then they're not doing well. And that is, I, I oftentimes ref- I try and get people to think of their company as a person. And if the company doesn't do well, and therefore you're unhappy, you are now in a codependent relationship with your company. Mm-hmm. And that is not a very fun place to be in. And these are all interesting perspectives I hadn't really thought much about. Another thing that you talk about is how to change your life by changing the way you think, which I guess is kind of, you're kind of already touching on that to an extent. At least I'm now thinking differently already. Mission accomplished. If any of your guests are also like, huh, if you're pausing now and saying, I've never thought of it that way before. Mm-hmm. That's that's the opening. So one of my, and I can't remember the exact quote, but Leonard Cohen in one of his songs talks about the crack is where the light gets in. So when I'm doing coaching work with people, when when we're talking like this, if I can ask you a, a simple question, if I can give you a different way of thinking about something that creates this little crack. And now you begin to say, huh, I've never thought about it that way. You are now exploring the mental body. You are learning something new. So you are learning something. And then at that point, you're going to learn and learn and learn. You're going to listen to a podcast about happiness. You're going to maybe read a book about from Brene Brown or from Eckhart Tolle or something like that. And you're going to try and implement something that they tell you to do in that book. So you're going to try and experiment and you're going to try and meditate, or you're going to try and live in a different way in some way. And you're going to find that you have some emotions around that. You're going to feel something like it might be uncomfortable to meditate. And you're going to say, I have all of these thoughts. Where are the thoughts coming from? I can't stop the thoughts. And it's going to make you unhappy or it's going to frustrate you. You are now operating in the emotional body. So we start in the physical body. We move to the mental. We move to the emotional. And then really, I take all of the mystery away from the spiritual body. So this people can call me woo-woo and I'll fully take on the woo-woo term. No problem at all. But really what spirituality is, it's an individual practice of getting to know yourself. So religion oftentimes has, it's done in a group. There's lots of maybe rituals. There's some dogma and some rules. And there's usually a leader of some kind that we're supposed to listen to, whether that leader is in that location or like up in the heavens. But there, that's religion is often a group activity. Spirituality is an individual activity, and it's just me getting to know myself. Mm -hmm. That process from going from the physical, the mental, the emotional to the spiritual, that is essentially the process of building self-worth intrinsically. It becomes really simple when you can break it down. But to your point, I want to go back to your specific question about how to change a reality by changing your thinking. If you have a thought, if you're walking down the street and you think that somebody is following you. That thought makes you feel a certain way. You begin to feel scared. When I feel scared, I release hormones into my body. In this case, I'm probably going to release adrenaline and cortisol. Those hormones combined with my feelings cause me to do something or not do something. It causes me to act, to react, maybe to not act at all. So this is kind of where we hear fight, flight, freeze, or fold. 
Those are sort of the, the four fundamental things that we, we hear a lot of. If I flee in this case, because somebody's chasing me, because I'm scared, because there's adrenaline and cortisol racing through my body. If I flee, that is the action. If I take all of the actions from all of the feelings, that creates my reality. So the world that I live in, the reality that I live in is basically a series of actions that were created by feelings that were initiated by thoughts. So if I want to change my reality, I have to change the way that I think about things. And I'm not saying that it's easy, but that's where we look at things like meditation helps me make conscious choices. It helps me change the way that I think about a certain situation. And if I can change the way I think when somebody's walking behind me and I say, well, maybe they're not following me. Maybe they're just walking behind me. So I take a left turn and that person keeps walking down the street. I realize that Thankfully, I was potentially scared for nothing because I was Mm -hmm. conscious enough to think, you know what? I'm not going to be a victim. I'm just going to take a left turn and see what happens. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? Yeah, it does. You know, sometimes if you if there's like a car following you for a long time, kind of a similar situation, I guess just instead of thinking worst case scenario that someone's following you, do something, like you said, turn left and just see what happens. And if they continue to follow you, then maybe turn right and see, you know, kind of until you have a really good reason to think that they're actually following you. If you think that you're legitimately being followed down the street, like I want everybody to to feel safe. And I'm not encouraging people to not feel safe. This is purely an example. But yeah, what I'm offering is most of the time, and what you're, before I go down that path, I will say that you're, what you said is, instead of thinking the negative, instead of going, my first thought being, oh crap, like something's happening. Mm -hmm. That is something that we've been been trained to think from the time that we are very young. In fact, from the time between two and three years old, our ego begins to develop. We begin separating ourselves from our parents. We begin developing a personality of our own. So when we want to eat something and we grab it or we we put our hands all over the, the clean windows and our mom says, no, don't do that. Stop doing that. 80% of the messaging that we get from the time that we're three years old is negative. Mm. So, so much of the thoughts that we have, 80% of our thoughts are negative, 95% of our thoughts are repetitive. And we have close to 60,000 thoughts a day. So if you imagine that we have 60,000 thoughts a day, 80% are negative, 95% are repetitive. We are thinking negative thoughts a lot. So what we have to begin to do, if we want to change our reality, we literally have to begin systematically changing from a negative perspective, from a positive to a positive perspective. And when we can do that, our whole life, our whole reality can change. Let me rephrase that. Our reality doesn't change. The way that we feel about it changes because we've changed our thinking. We can now change the way that we feel. Our whole reality can stay exactly the same, but we can feel a certain way, a a better way about it. Yeah. And when you're, you were talking, 
Another example comes to mind that might be similar is like when you see someone and automatically stereotype them, whether it be their gender, their race, whatever, then you put them in this category or this box or you stereotype like, oh, that person. Then you start thinking negative things. That would be kind of along the same lines and just think not everybody is that way or yeah. What you're referring to is implicit bias. I don't, I'm not consciously thinking that a person of a different race or gender is a bad person, but potentially because somebody told me that enough times when I was a child or the environment that I grew up in thought negatively or acted negatively towards that race or gender, then it teaches me to do the same thing. And I would even go a step farther back than that to maybe even just remove some of the maybe conflict or the the race and gender aspect is let's say you're a little baby, you're one years old and you're in your crib and you won't stop crying. So one of your parents comes up and spanks you and, and like, or shakes you and tells you like, stop crying and it scares you. Now at one year old, your brain has not formed enough. And the amygdala specifically has not formed enough to remember that event as a real event. You don't have words to remember that that you can't program a memory because the amygdala is not online. But another part of your brain, the hippocampus, is definitely online by that time. And your hippocampus skips over the verbal part of your brain. And it remembers that event, but it remembers it in your body. So your body actually has a memory all of its own. And it's in some ways, it's almost the subconscious. So you can experience something at the age between one, zero and three, the the amygdala is really beginning to form around three years old. So you can experience a traumatic event between zero and three that you will have no memory of, but it could still be affecting how you live your life today. You might not even know it. You would have no memory but it is actually affecting how you might interact with another human being today. I see this a lot with the coaching clients when we pay very close attention to facial expressions and to body movements, we can see the body reacting, but the brain, the conscious mind doesn't even know what's going on. Have you thought about writing a book before on all this stuff? (laughs) It's all been written about, honestly. And as I mentioned before, I'm sort of the poo-poo platter of self-care. I bring in all sorts of techniques, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy, whether it's yoga, whether it's meditation, all of these things are fair game. I would call myself an expert generalist. So there are so many smarter people than me that are doing amazing research and deep study into all of these things. What, What I do that I feel is just a little bit different is when I'm working with entrepreneurs and founders who are really uncomfortable, who feel like they've hit a wall, They're not happy with their business. They're not happy in their life. They're discontent. They feel like they don't have purpose. Those are the people who end up coming to me saying, I've got a problem with my business. Can you please help me figure this thing out? Like I need to figure out how to get more done. If I could just get more done, I could make more money and then I'd be happy. And that's never really true. That's why I call it 80-20 coaching because a lot of times 80% of it in the beginning, 80% is business related and 20% is personal. But it doesn't take very long before we realize that really there's 20% business, 
those are like the triggers. Those are the, the business presses people's buttons, but the buttons are very personal. The buttons are usually stored in the mental and the emotional body. We just use the business to figure out where we need to do the work. The business is like our divining rod. One of the things that I say to many of my clients is, it's not my fault for pressing your buttons. It's your fault for having buttons to press. Another thing that you talk about is that work-life balance is BS. (laughs) And I'd love for you to explain that a bit. I absolutely believe that work-life balance is BS in part because this concept of work-life balance started in the late 1800s. And then it really kind of caught roots around the 1950s. And we've been trying to figure out work-life balance for over a hundred years. And we're pretty smart people these days. Like we have AI technology, we have really smart social scientists and social psychologists and workplace psychologists and behavioral scientists, like we have all of these amazingly smart people and we can't figure out work-life balance. So there's also in the the original kind of concept of work-life balance was measuring the amount of friction between our work life and our personal life. And right now, a lot of people have friction between their work life and their personal life, but they don't think of work-life balance that way. They think of work-life balance as well. If I spend this amount of time in work, then I got to spend this amount of time in my personal life. And what I try and work with people is rather than work-life balance, work-life integration to break down the barriers between my personal life and my work life. If my dog dies at home, I know that's sad. I'm sorry. And I hope that your dog never dies. (laughs) But if my dog dies at home, you're going to be sad. It's going to affect you unless you're like a cold, heartless person. (laughs) But let's hope your listeners are not like that. So if your dog dies, you're going to be sad. If you go into work, if you're running your company or working at a company, to expect that you can just check that baggage at the door and come in and work a fully productive day is irrational. The human brain does not function like that. We bring our sadness to work. And the unfortunate part about this is that we've been taught for so long, you can't bring your emotions to work. And I believe that is 100% untrue. And if we can become better leaders that are more emotionally intelligent and we can allow, like if we're capable of dealing with our own emotions, then we can let our employees bring some of their whole self to work. And and I'm not saying that you should have employees that are crying in their office every day, but if we can be more emotionally intelligent as owners of companies, as founders, as entrepreneurs, then we can let our employees show up as their whole self and they will live a happier, healthier existence. I absolutely believe in taking mental health days. I think your employees should say, you know what? My dog died today. I really need to take an emotional health day. And if you as an owner or an entrepreneur can say, I get it. It's got to be hard for you. It was probably that dog was probably in your family for 11 years and you really miss him. So do what you need to do. I give you the space to grieve about you losing your dog. That is what an emotionally healthy, conscious entrepreneur would say to an employee. And to open up that space and say to your employees, if this happens to you, please let me know because it's happened to me before and I'm willing to stay home on a day that 
my dog dies because I want to be with my kids and my wife. Yeah, that reminds me of, I think his name is Shane Sams or something. I think it's the Flipped Lifestyle podcast, I think. Anyway, his story is that the reason he quit his job or kind of the breaking point was when he found out that his... I think two year old or whatever at daycare was being like left in the bathroom all day or abused or something. He wanted to leave work to go get his kid. And his boss was like, Oh, that's, you need to do that on your personal time. And yeah, that story like sticks with me. That sounds like a boss that A doesn't have kids Mm. and B has yet to understand compassion. That's empathy as well. Like that empathy is the ability to, when you walk by, somebody and you like see them down in a hole and they're stuck in the hole and they're yelling for help. Sympathy is standing at the top of that hole saying it must suck to be down there. (laughs) Empathy is being able to say, Hey, I know what it's like to be in that hole and I can help you get out of the hole. So I'm going to jump down there and together we're going to get out together. Now it is, it's a dangerous, if you, if you're a supervisor or somebody that's just starting to play with some of these emotions in the office, Sometimes it is dangerous when you want to be empathetic and you jump down in the hole with somebody, but neither one of you can get out, then that's a different problem. And you you want to try and avoid that as much as possible. So as your listeners, if they're kind of treading into this, these waters to begin with, these are great things to practice at home first, to have these like intimate emotional conversations with your kids and your spouse or your partner. And then when you get, you feel like you're good at this and doing it at home, then you get to bring that into the workplace. That That's a good analogy that you use there. Another thing I, I noticed when I was on your website that I thought was really interesting was hashtag stop crushing it, which I assume is kind of a, a play on Gary Vaynerchuk's crushing it. Yes, it is. <laughs> Gary Vaynerchuk, he is, I think that he is probably, he was probably the first to make it popular. And I'll be totally honest, I met Gary V years ago, probably late, you know, 2007, 2008. And he had just released his book, Crush It. I owned a copy of his book, Crush It. So there was a time in my life where I was doing my best to crush it as well. There's a lot of emotion that gets put into words like crush it and kill it and having a side hustle for your side hustle. All of those things imply you should not take care of yourself the business is more important than your personal well-being. Therefore, if I just keep killing it and crushing it and telling all of my staff to do that, we're going to eventually be successful and happy. And I'm telling you right now, I just met with a founder last Saturday, had to take a year and a half off. He had to leave his company. He had to check himself into a residential treatment program because of severe depression. He has a really hard time functioning in day-to-day work life right now because he pushed himself to the limit. You only have so much fuel. And when you run out of fuel and you start running on fumes, the amount of damage that you can do as an entrepreneur, as a founder is pretty significant. I can't remember all of the stats, but like founders are 10 times more likely to have bipolar disorder. We are three times more likely to have a substance abuse problem. We're double the likelihood to have depression. 
were six times more likely to experience attention deficit disorder. The amount of horrible mental health things that can happen to us as entrepreneurs and founders is staggering, but nobody pays attention to it because what we're really interested in is building our net worth because we think it's going to make us feel better. And what I often like ask people is, if I gave you a million dollars right now, would you be happy? And so many people say, oh yeah, a million dollars. I can do amazing things with a million dollars. But guess what happens? When your million dollars is spent, you are miserable again. So we have to figure out a way to stop basing our happiness and self-worth and contentment on the money in our pocket and our bank account and say, yeah, a million dollars would be amazing to help my business. I'm not an anti-capitalist. I'm not telling you to build a, not build a business. I'm not telling you to grow it to enormous heights and to, to make lots of money that you could potentially pay your employees great wages and more than you know the average person might make. But I'm just telling you that you're not, it's not going to inherently make you a happier person once you've done all of that. Yeah, I think that's interesting to hear a different perspective because you hear like the crushing it, killing it, like you said, or hustle or hustle and grind or all of these phrases that make you feel like unless you're kind of always on or always going or always working on your business 24-7 or whatever, that you're not going to make it or you're not going to make as much money or whatever the case is. And so I think it's good to have that other perspective because very few people. I mean, maybe other people have that perspective, but they aren't usually talking about it. So I think that was helpful <laughs> for me anyway. Usually it requires for people to begin embracing a different methodology. It usually requires oftentimes the pain has to exceed the pleasure before you begin to change. So I have to have a life-changing event happen. I have to lose all, like I have to crash and burn, maybe mentally, maybe financially before I realize that, or maybe I have to get a divorce. Maybe I have like something has to happen in my personal life before I realize this isn't working anymore. And sometimes people can catch it early enough. I, I have a lot of founders and entrepreneurs that come to me from a coaching perspective and they've just, they've, they're close to burnout. They don't know what to do next. They have tried optimizing their whole life and it isn't working. They're not finding peace, joy, contentment, happiness, whatever you want to do. I'm the last hope. And they most of the time, many of the folks that I work with are not prepared or not interested in seeing a therapist, which I'm absolutely in love with therapy. I think that every person could benefit from therapy. I think that therapy is like going to the gym for your brain. We all go work on our physical body. We, we eat healthy and we go to the gym, but our physical body is okay to build up our mental emotional body is looked at as a negative. And I think that therapy, all therapy is, is just a great workout for the brain. But usually it requires something bad to happen or we're at the edge. And then people say, there's gotta be a better way. How do I do this? Can you tell us a little bit about your retreat coming up in September? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a retreat, it's Founders Thriving, is a kind of movement that I have put together in an effort to build a place, a space, virtual space for founders and entrepreneurs who really do want to live a, a happier, healthy life. And I spent 15 years going through an enormous number of experiences. As I mentioned, I've, I've been in the Amazon jungle drinking ayahuasca with shamans in, in Peru. I have 
done my yoga teacher training. I've sat for 10 days in silence in meditation with Buddhist monks. I've studied with swamis in Rishikesh, India. What I've done is I've basically taken the, the most powerful experiences of those 15 years combined with some of the curriculum that I use in my coaching, this concept of decoupling net worth and self-worth. I've mashed them all together in a five-day retreat in Nicaragua, and I'm inviting 15 people to come down and begin experiencing and learning a new way to live. We begin building a healthier relationship with our business. And if we can begin setting proper boundaries and getting rid of the codependency in our business relationship, we can start to feel better about how we live our life. So if anybody is interested, go to founderthriving.com slash retreat, and you can find out all the information there. It's super affordable because I know some people have some old thoughts about the safety of Nicaragua. <laughs> we are about an hour and a half north of the Costa Rican border. And I was just there about three or four weeks ago. I went through the whole process. We are in a private beach. You stay in this beautiful casita that's built inside of a mountain and you get to like look at the ocean every day. So it is absolutely wonderful. That sounds amazing. I guess they don't have any kind of restrictions there as far as COVID and traveling. And I mean, it's a couple months away, so probably even it'll probably be even better by then. But and that's a, it's a great question. When I went down, we actually fly from the U.S. We fly into Costa Rica and Costa Rica does require travel insurance. So it cost me like $30 to get travel insurance. Then we get in a private coach and we go up to the border of Nicaragua. When you enter Nicaragua, they ask for a negative COVID test. So if you've gotten a negative COVID test within 72 hours, which people like you can go to any Walgreens or CVS and get a COVID test for free. So before you leave, you just go get a COVID test. So with travel insurance and a COVID test, you can get into Costa Rica and Nicaragua and then sort of the same thing when you're getting out. So it's really, really simple. The retreat, we're handling all of the transportation. We walk you through the border. We pick you up at the airport. We shuttle you back to the airport. And while you're there with us, we're, it's called Costa Dolce. It's an eco lodge, uh, again, built into the side of a mountain on a private beach in Nicaragua. And all of the food, all of the meals, everything, you get yoga and meditation and breath work every day. We do fireside chats by the beach every night with only founders and entrepreneurs. We have workshops with beautiful like master teachers to start talking about how to decouple net worth and self-worth. We have experiences like cacao ceremonies and holotropic breath work and amazing stuff that we, I, like I said, I've taken all of the experience, my favorite, most powerful experiences from 15 years and put them together in a five day retreat specifically designed for entrepreneurs and founders. Mm -hmm. Wow. Being in a mountain and on the beach, oh, just all of that. Well, I really appreciate your time today and people can find that retreat again at founderthriving.com forward slash retreat. And then your main website is gvfreeman.com. Uh, I'll also have show notes with links to everything at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash gvfreeman. Was there anything else you wanted to go over that we hadn't touched on? No, I think uh, that's everything. If you hit gvfreeman.com, if you're interested in having a conversation, like I've got 30 minutes for everybody. Mm. So if you're interested in having a conversation, if you go to the homepage of gbfreeman.com, it says you can schedule an integration session. You can book time on my calendar. Also, I offer anybody that's in the entrepreneur space. I have a toolkit, a self-care toolkit that a lot of people get benefit out of. 
Uh, and if you go to gvfreeman.com slash tool, that'll take you right to that landing page that you can download. Awesome. I'll have to do that myself. I appreciate your time and all your insight. I've learned a lot myself and I imagine the listeners have as well. So thank you so much. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you. And if anybody has any questions, I'd love to chat. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Until next time. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, Share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.